Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. Today we're going to continue our introduction to the book of Genesis, kind of picking up where we left off with the intro in the previous episode. And we want to dive into the authorship at this point. So as we've kind of covered the basis for the importance of it and some of the doctrines that it covers, and, and we'll get more into that as well. But if we're going to take Genesis at face value and understand that the very book itself is foundational, and I would assert that and and I hope that that's a good starting point for us in this discussion, then we have to ask a logical question. It's not just foundational in general, but who was it foundational for? In other words, who wrote or compiled Genesis? And I would say very succinctly that that is Moses. I take a mosaic authorship uh, to the entire Pentateuch, not just the book of Genesis. And then we have to ask ourselves a question, well, who was Moses? Was he a leader? Well, yes, but a leader to whom? Well, to Israel. So Genesis really was written for Israel. Moses most likely wrote down the record of creation and the rest of the Pentateuch during their wilderness wandering. I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, right? Uh, We get the record of Moses and his life growing up in Egypt and, and then his subsequent wilderness wandering himself until he's 80 years old. And then he has the burning bush experience, Exodus chapter three, uh, when he's 80, that's when God calls him to lead the people out of Egypt. And then he is their leader and he does so. He leads the nation for 40 years and then he dies with his eyes undiminished and his strength uh, undiminished at 120 years old. Very incredible there, right? Uh, so, but he is the leader of Israel and he, he wouldn't have written down, uh, he wouldn't have written down Genesis nor any of the other rest of the Pentateuch until after he had led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And of course, he was pretty preoccupied when you go back and read the Exodus account, uh, going back and forth with Pharaoh and being driven from his presence, called back into his presence, all of that back and forth, and then with the people of Israel and so forth. You know, he, when you look at it, he really wouldn't have had time until after the Exodus event. So that's probably when and who Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. Okay. So it's during their wilderness wandering had to have been after uh, the the Exodus. So he's already their leader at the time that he is writing this down. He's already declared to them that they are a separate people. They already knew it. They had a heritage that they traced back to their father, Jacob, and his 12 sons who came to Egypt, they would have known that story, even if it was 430 years prior, uh, that is nothing to them. Uh, and they would have kept that very close in their minds. And Joseph was sent ahead to preserve them. All of that would have been known to them as they kept themselves separate in the land of Goshen. Remember that, uh, you know, and actually, well, we'll get to that. I say, remember that. That will actually come up in this study. 
one of the reasons that we'll come to, just kind of peeking ahead a little bit in the book, is uh, that Joseph recognized that his people were different. Uh, he said, you know, very famously at the end of the book of Genesis, what God, what you intended for evil, God was able to use for good. And while you intended to kill me, and that was, that was the hoped side effect or the hoped in, intended effect, I should say, uh, you know, God had other plans. He sent me on ahead of you to become this leader in Egypt, second most powerful to Pharaoh so that you could be saved during this time of extreme famine. But not only be saved, but stay separate and not co-mingle with the Egyptians. And that's why they were farmers and, and uh, you know, they were considered dirty in the sight of the Egyptians. That was all for a reason so that they would stay separate. And, and all of this was known and then becomes evident as this is written down. So they already knew it. They had a heritage that they traced back to their father. They weren't Egyptians. Jacob was changed to Israel. He was the son of Isaac, the son of promise, who was born to Abraham, who's called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And where is all of that recorded for us? Well, it's right here in this book in Genesis. And, and then who called Abraham? Well, God did. And what did he say to him? It's in Genesis that Israel needed Genesis to understand their peculiar government that was going to be set up, which is a theocracy. They needed Genesis to understand their peculiar standing as a people amongst all the nations around them, called out from them, commanded to be separate. They needed this revelation. As Alan Ross puts it, God was now creating Israel as a new nation among the nations, citing Deuteronomy 32, 6 to 9, the implications would be inescapable since the theocracy is founded by the sovereign God of creation, the law, the customs, and the beliefs associated with it are all consonant with the plan of creation. Creation is thus the theological starting point explaining what kind of God was establishing his theocracy and how powerful his word was in doing so. That's an incredibly powerful statement. He's setting them up not only to be the God of this people, but to set up a government where God rules as a theocracy. And it makes sense that he's not a God, one among many, but he is the God, the one who created everything. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, because you know, there's going to be so many topics that are introduced and are vital, yeah, absolutely foundational. Uh, we're going to use that term a lot here. Genesis is absolutely critical. Uh, but here's a question. How did creation come about? And it's not just everything from nothing. That is a very important principle. This ex nihilo, maybe you've heard of that, uh, everything from nothing. That is true. But more importantly, it was spoken into existence. And right away, right away at the very beginning in the opening verses of the very first book of the Bible, we understand then, or we are to understand that God's word is very important. So that leads us to some implications. And keep in mind, we're still just kind of working through the introduction here. With regard to creation, we see then, with regards to God and our theology, that God is sovereign over creation. So we see the sovereignty of God of creation and over creation. Since everything that exists in the universe was made by him, it must therefore be under his control. If he made everything and apart from him, nothing was made that was made, borrowing the words from John, uh, 
right? Later on in the New Testament, and we understand that, and Genesis gives us that record, then everything in all of creation must be under his control. So there is the sovereignty of God, which emerges for us right at the very beginning of this book. And that brings us to an interesting observation as well, that everything that the pagans worshipped, and these are all the people around Israel, including Egypt, who exercised power over them. I mean, remember by the time Moses finds them, and, and well, by the time Moses is is born and God miraculously saves him, his name means drawn out of the water. You, you know, you remember that account, all that. Uh, by that, that time, you know, there arose a Pharaoh. This is how the book of Exodus opens. There arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. Very interesting, right? Well, the Egyptians are a very religious people, and they are polytheists, and they have lots of gods, the god of the sun, and, you know, so forth. They, they have all of this, and everything that they end up worshiping, you have to understand this, is something that God has made, which we get fleshed out for us in the book of Romans, right? Proclaiming themselves to be wise, they actually become fools and they worship and serve the creature more than the creator who's blessed forever. Remember that from Paul in, in Romans chapter one, that, that's incredible. So when we begin to think about God as the creator, which is how we're going to meet him and how we are introduced to him, by the way, very important, the way we are introduced to God in the Bible foundationally is as the creator. And that's very, very important to remember. You and I are a part of the work of creation of his hands. And, and that's very important to remember. And, and by the way, this idea that pagans worship what God has created pretty much sums up the spirit of the age, right? Uh, Daniel chapter five, verse 23, you have praised the gods of silver and gold of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Scathing rebuke out of the mouth of Daniel there under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not just to the people around him of his own kinsmen who are willing to bow down and forsake God, but to the pagan nations around him. So the sovereignty of God is, is absolutely critical in the book of Genesis as far as an implication. And then we also see this, the account of Genesis lays the foundation for the law. God's word to his people. This actually will become part of the law. A lot of times when we think of the law with regard to the Pentateuch, we may think of passages such as Exodus, wherein we find the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, right? Exodus chapter 20. We might think of Leviticus and the ceremonial law uh, and, and, and those types of things and the laws of cleanness and uncleanness. But Genesis is a part of that. In fact, the Jewish people look at the Pentateuch and, and this is the basis for the law. All, I think it's 613 of the Jewish laws are found if, between Genesis and Deuteronomy. So it's the foundation for the law, which is God's word to his people. So that means this, God created by his powerful and authoritative word, right? And that's how we're, we're presented in the opening verses of Genesis, that he didn't just create out of nothing, he created by his word, and his word is now going to become very central 
not only here, but for all the rest of the scripture. That's what the scripture is, is the written record of God's word to us. And of course, as we've seen elsewhere in other studies, uh, you know, his word provides everything that is needed for life and godliness. It is absolutely sufficient. And so of all the things that could be said, we have 66 inscripturated books, authoritative, that make up the Bible. And this is God's revelation to us and very, very critical. Psalm 33, verses 9 to 11, talk about God's creation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 as well. That Hebrews passage says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Great creation verse nestled away there in the book of Hebrews. And of course, that's that great chapter on faith where we understand the vital or the, the vital importance, I should say, of, of living by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we are called to live by faith and we have examples of the faith. A third implication is uh, of the book of Genesis and all that we have seen in talking about God's character is this, that, that Genesis reveals the activity of God in redemption. So we're going to begin to get pictures, right? And we will see these all throughout the scripture. We have to interpret them in context, but all of these things point to God's saving work, his power to save his willingness to use miraculous means uh, as we get through, you know, not only the book of Genesis, but all of the Pentateuch and get into the wilderness wandering, we're going to see God provide food for Israel in the wilderness 40 years. And, you know, Israel at this point is 1.6 million is what people estimated at. Can you imagine feeding 1.6 million people three times a day? Well, God did that through manna, whether or not you, you know, like the idea of being fed the same exact food every meal, uh, three days, uh, you know, three times a day, six days a week, and then you gather enough on the sixth day uh, for the Sabbath, right? And, and you remember all that. The fact that he did that every day for them for 40 years is unbelievable, that, that is so many mouths to feed, and they weren't farming. They were just nomads, right, wandering through in the wilderness area. And occasionally he provided meat for them, and when the water was running out, he could make it come out of rocks. I mean, we see this, and it's a reminder to us that not only is our miracles possible because the God who created everything can, can cause things to happen, like here's water from a rock. He can do those sorts of things, but it also shows that he's willing to save by miraculous means, and we start to get a picture of redemption. He redeemed his people. He bought them. He purchased them, and he paid the price and and captured them so that they could not only Abraham followed him by faith, but then when they're in Egypt, he brought them out of Egypt. He ransomed them. He redeemed them out of Egypt, and he redeemed Joseph out of the pit, and he saved Israel, Jacob, when he was still Jacob and his 12 sons from dying of starvation because of the drought, and so forth. And so these themes start to emerge, and it's very important for us to think about them. So we take a mosaic authorship, and we see some of the themes of God starting to come forward as far as the attributes of God that really lay the foundation for this foundational book.
All right, so let's do some quick recap here in these minutes that we have. Uh, regarding the date, uh, Moses lived from around 1526 BC to 1406 BC. So assuming that he started compiling the book of Genesis, uh, and there's a little bit of discussion with that. And so, you know, let's just sum it up this way. There's, this doesn't necessarily go against the inspiration of scripture. And we'll get to this in just a moment as well. All the old Testament and the new Testament regards, Moses as the author of the Torah or the Pentateuch, the law. And so it looks like there were sources that he was guided to by the Holy Spirit that, you know, there was record of some of the stuff that he uh, is, has compiled for us and put together in Genesis. But we say that, that he would have started that after the Exodus. And so remember he started the Exodus and was called to that ministry of leading his people uh, at the age of 80. So that would have begun his ministry uh, and service to the nation of Israel around 1446. And he served God and Israel for 40 years, dying at 1406 BC. So about 3,420 years ago. Uh, but that's when we can place the dating of the book sometime between 1446 and 1406 BC. Probably would have written it, you know, before Deuteronomy for sure. Uh, now regarding mosaic authorship, uh, I just have a list of things that I want to try and get through very quickly here. Uh, I'm reading out of a great commentary on the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis by Jonathan Sarfati. Uh, it's called the Genesis account, a theological, historical, and scientific commentary on Genesis one eleven, put out by, um, copyright here by the creation ministries international in powder springs georgia um regarding uh his authorship lots of internal evidence uh, to to moses uh exodus 17 14 24 4 to 7 34 17 okay but then we move through the old testament and we see that moses is cited as the author in other places like joshua 1 verses 7 and 8 joshua 8 32 to 34 judges chapter 3 verse 4 affirms mosaic authorship of the pentateuch which includes genesis first kings 2 3 second kings 14 6 second chronicles 25 4 ezra 6 18 nehemiah 8 1 daniel 9 verses 11 to 13 in the new testament moses is considered the author of the pentateuch okay and we have this in john 1 17 acts 6 14 Acts 6, uh, 13, 39, Acts 15, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 9, 9, 2 Corinthians 3, 15, and Hebrews 10, 28. And then you have Jesus citing Moses as the author in the Gospels. And here's what Jonathan Sarfati said. He said, Jesus frequently spoke of Moses' writings or of the law of Moses without any disclaimer. And you can look at this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, Matthew 19, 7 to 8, when he was questioned on divorce. Remember that passage? He said, Moses said, okay, so he doesn't even explain himself, just assumes Mosaic authorship. Mark 7 to 10, Mark, uh, sorry, Mark 7, verse 10, uh, Mark 12, 26, Luke 24, 27 and 44, John 7, 19. So there's a lot there. And uh, just one other thing, I'll try and get it in here because then we have some other things that we have to say with regard to the introduction. There's just so much uh, in the, uh, with regard to, to making sure that we get things right when it comes to the book of Genesis. 
And, and that is, is how it is structured. And one of the most fascinating things that I discovered uh, as I was taking one of my last courses my senior year of college, I went to a Bible college, uh, and I, I was reading, uh, I was taking a course on the Pentateuch, and that's where I first encountered Alan Ross and his commentary, and, and then a lot of other commentaries have since pointed out that there's an incredible structure within the book uh, that's based around this Hebrew word toledoth. Now, you don't need to know necessarily all the etymology behind that, but that word toledoth in Hebrew is translated, these are the generations of. And you might remember going through the book of Genesis and reading, now these are the generations of, you know, the heavens and the earth is the first one, okay? Um, It's a great way to organize the book because that actually divides the book up into neat sections. Remember, there weren't chapters and verses until, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, uh, just a few hundred years ago on our reckoning. So a few thousand years after this was written, but uh, we'll get into Hebrew structure and poetry and those type of things in another discussion. But there are 11 Toledoth statements in the book of Genesis and uh, here they are. Number one, you don't have a Toledoth at the very beginning. Uh, you don't need to have a these are the generations of in Genesis 1 because you have to have a starting point. But then in Genesis 2, you get these are the generations of the heaven and the earth, and they build off the preceding section and talk to you about what that whatever the Toledoth is saying is going to uh, develop into. So the first one we come in contact with is from Genesis 2, verse 4, all the way through 4, verse 26, the generations of the heaven and the earth. So we're saying, what happened to the heavens and the earth? Well, here's what happened. Sin happened, uh, and here was the result of sin. Then you have the Toledoth of Adam, Genesis 5, 1 through Genesis 6, 8. Again, we're asking what happened to Adam and who are his descendants? That's how that's organized. Then in Genesis 6, 9 through 9, 29, you have the Toledoth. These are the generations of Noah. What became of Noah? Uh, and so we're, we know who his father is based on the previous one, but now we look at Noah and we follow him through Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and, and we see that there. Um, uh, and, and we see, well, that God led him through the flood, and then we, we know he had children, which brings us to the fourth Toledoth, which is that these are the generations of and then you have Shem, Japheth, and Ham. Uh, then you have the Toledoth specifically of Shem. So now we are, we're narrowing things down, which is what the book of Genesis does. Takes it from wide to narrow and just keeps narrowing things down because from the line of Shem, we're eventually going to get to Abraham, right? So you go from that Toledoth, Genesis 11, 10 to 26, to then the Toledoth, the generations of Terah, who is the father of Abraham. We have to get that so that we can include the rest of his family, so that there's a little bit of understanding of who he sends his sons to to find wives. That's why you have that, and we'll get to that as well. Then you have the Toledoth of Ishmael, just a brief excursus there, so we understand what happened uh, there. Then the Toledoth of Isaac, what became of Isaac? Well, you have Jacob, and we should mention uh, Toledoth of Esau, right? Genesis 36, 1-8, what became of the son that didn't stand to inherit the generational blessings and so forth? Well, you can read about that in Genesis 36, 1-8. Then there is a second Toledoth 
of Esau, Genesis 36, 9 to Genesis 37, 1 of Esau. The second one is showing his history and what happened with him in the role of the father of the Edomites. And that introduces us to all the ites that we encounter later, right? The Edomites, the Horites, the Amalekites and so forth, uh, who become the historic enemies of Israel. And then the last Toled Oath in the book starts in Genesis 37, verse 2 takes us through the end of the book, and that is the Toled Oath of Jacob. What happened to Jacob? Well, we know Jacob became Israel. Israel had 12 sons. Joseph was one of those, and so forth. And so it's a great way to structure the book. Uh, I know this episode went a little bit long, uh, but it's good to get all that in there because we have one more introductory at least one more introductory uh, episode before we dig into the text because there are some important things that we have yet to cover and then that will give us the basis, the groundwork to actually go into the text of scripture. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.